Two Humorous Nurses with Kelly and Alicia. The podcast that speaks up for safety. Welcome to Two Humorous Nurses, where we plan to bring you funny, informal, conversational chat about all things nursing. And today we are exploring doctors who kill. After watching Dr. Death and being blown away by how easily doctors can seemingly get away with murder, Mm. we thought we should deep dive and have a look at a couple of doctors. But I think we've chosen two very different stories today, haven't we? I'm very excited to share with you the person that I've chosen. Um, Mine is from like over 120 years ago. Uh, mm. Or well, around a hundred years ago. So um, I'm talking about Dr. Linda Burfield Hazard and Hazard. Just, Hazard. Hazard. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's dead giveaway. Dead. Oh, get it? Oh, just, gee, the dead puns just... are just flying. Linda Burfield, she was born to alternative kind of style parents in 1867. Where, and, and as a family, the parents would like medicate themselves and their children with mercury tablets for wellness. Mm. Um, apparently it was like a fad at the time and then it was quickly ditched, but their family kept taking them because it causes like massive digestive problems. Um, like abdo- abdominal cramps and bloody diarrhea and stuff, right? Oh, so as yeah, so um, Linda decided that taking medicines wasn't the answer to life's ailments. Um, which I think is so interesting that um, as a child, you know, she was medicated and she's resisted that, and um, you know, ultimately then gets into medicine, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So when she's 18, she gets married to her first husband and has two kids to him, but then decides, actually, this isn't really the life I want. So she ditches them in 1891. And then she <laughs> wants to be a career woman. So she pursues a career in Go Minneapolis. Girl. I know. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe don't get married and have yeah. kids if that's not what you want. <laughs> so um, she begins studying osteopathy in 1891, which back then was not like as common as it is now, it's still probably not that well known, but um, yeah, so she gets into that, but then decides that there were some things in osteopathy that she didn't really love or that she didn't fully align with. So she um, decided after reading this book by Dr. Edward Hooker Dewey called The Natural Approach to Healing, which he wrote a heap of books, um, but this one proposed that rigorous fasting could heal the body. Um, she decided that this was the new gospel. This was her fifth gospel. And then she contacted him and like begged him to take her on and train her in the, in the practice of fasting, which back in the early 1900s or late 1800s, there were all of these like health fads that people were grabbing onto, not knowing, you know, what they were going to do to their body. And I guess, cause there wasn't a lot of education about that sort of thing, like obviously taking bloody mercury. Um, (laughs) But um, people were self-medicating all the time. Like one, um, one was arsenic. I think if you take, um, if you take arsenic in, in low doses, it's supposed to make you skinny or something. Mm. Um, 
and another one, obviously, like the corset, tra- like um, wearing corsets to yeah. give you that look, obviously, was quite dangerous. Lots of women um, became quite sick and people would faint all the time, like from their corsets yeah, well, no. cutting off their circulation <laughs> of and not breathe. being able to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> and there was another one I was reading um, where you ingest a tapeworm or tapeworm larvae or something and they uh, kill you, I guess, slowly. Wow. But they make you skinny because <laughs> you're sick. You're malnourished. Well, and in that era, they wanted to look pale and thin and and yeah. meek, meek, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah, they so, still do today, don't they? Well, pale and thin. I suppose some people do. Yeah. Uh, no, now it's brown and thin. <laughs> tan. Everybody's tanned. Tan. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> so. Anyway, so this fasting was like another one of those health fads that people, you know, latched onto. And after nagging Edward Hooker, Dr. Hooker, uh, he he was like in his late 60s, so he was happy to take her on and um, teach her what he knew because then he would have retired and probably died not that long after that, I guess. Um, But because – so she – because she wasn't technically a doctor, like she didn't train – as a like she didn't go to school to be a doctor she just trained with him and then um the Washington Medical Board actually granted her a license to practice alternative medicine because they didn't have um there weren't like big training schools on you know naturopathy or whatever like it it was um if you she kind of like had an apprenticeship I guess and they called it um, the loophole was like grandfathering. So the previous yeah. rules applies to some people, but anyone applying after a certain time had to adhere to the new rules. So she got to be called doctor and have a medical license, even though she mm. wasn't actually qualified. So um, at this time, so after she'd, well, or while she'd been training with him or after she'd trained with him, um, she gets involved in killing her first patient by starvation. So this is in 1902, but she wasn't prosecuted because she wasn't technically a doctor. They couldn't find the law to uphold like what she'd done wrong. So, um, but then she had raised eyebrows because the victim's valuable rings had gone missing and she was really like evasive around questioning around that. Greed, greed, greed. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so she's practicing now as a independent, um, I want to say starvation practitioner, but it's fasting, right? <laughs> <laughs> fasting that practitioner. That sounds so much better, starvation practitioner. <laughs> so then she meets and marries the man of her dreams, which I love. This is just, you know, it's a classic romance, really. <laughs> she meets the man of her dreams, Samuel Christ, Christman Hazard, right? This is around 1903, 1904. I couldn't find it specifically, but he had ruined a promising military career by misappropriating army funds. Oh, and he was an alcoholic and he'd actually had two marriages before that, one of which he didn't bother to divorce when he got married to Linda. So he ended up, there was this big lucrative trial, like big um, publicized trial for bigamy, which resulted in him going to jail for two years. Oh, right? God. <laughs> and being the devoted wife that she is, she waits. And then when he gets out after two years, so 1906, they move to Washington for a fresh start where nobody knows them, right? So they buy this big property and um, they dream that one day the house will be turned into a sanitarium, so where they can, like a hospital, I guess, for natural therapy. 
And then during this period, uh, Linda opens an office in Seattle and starts um, treating patients from her office. Then she treats them and then when they get too sick, she decides that um, she'll take them in at her home and look after them at home. And her husband kind of helps her, I guess. I don't really know all the details, but um, there are lots of allegations that they obviously they they were starving their their patients. She had like a recipe for what they should eat each day or what they shouldn't eat at all. Yeah. Um, some of them got nothing, and some of them got um, you know orange juice or soup or whatever. Um, but she was claiming to cure ailments from like tuberculosis to um, I don't know rheumatism. Like everything, any That's any possible so problem, yeah. So any possible problem could be cured. She fully believed in her own madness. Um, so they named their home Wilderness Heights, and um, it soon became known as Starvation Heights among the locals. <laughs> Love and, that. Yeah. <laughs> And some patients did survive her treatment and then publicly sang her praises, you know, that she was the be-all and end-all, the new Jesus, whatever. Um, but more than 40 patients ended up dying under her care, from star- most of them from starvation. Oh. Um, so in 1908, she killed two more people and one of them was a 38-year-old who actually did have stomach cancer, but the cause of her death was more than likely Uh, malnutrition 1909 she kills two more and then um, suspicion starts being raised about the sanitarium now about the house and but um, the authorities felt a bit powerless because they're like well these people are voluntarily being treated by this yeah that's right and they are making an informed choice they know the the implications of not eating so you know that's it's not like they're being brainwashed to get into the place they're actually it's only, but they're probably not voluntarily. It would only be voluntary to start with, because then they would well, get yeah. so weak they couldn't leave. Exactly right. So, um, and then, oh, and I will talk a bit about that. But she would proclaim that any death that occurred was a result of the pre-existing illness and not from the fasting oh, treatment, yeah, right? And yeah. then she started doing all her own autopsies and started listing the cause of death <laughs> as the pre-existing illness and not as. But then mm-hmm. some occasionally, <laughs> occasionally families would want independent autopsies done and then the list, the, the cause of death would be listed as starvation. Yeah. So then in 1910, oh, in 1908, um, Linda, uh, she publishes her own book because she's an authority oh, on the subject. Yeah. And, oh, amazing. Yeah. And she just fully believes that, that anything can be cured by starvation and and this actually becomes almost like it gets a cult following and um even today there are you know fasting movements that um some people believe as a cure-all let's be honest some people believe that drinking their own urine will make them live forever so i mean yeah exactly people are fucked people are very and people like people like hazard are still around i mean bell gibson yeah for example bell gibson she made a ton of money off like clean saying she, saying she had a brain tumor and it was cured by <gasps> clean eating. Yes, and it turns out she probably didn't have brain tumor at all. No, she's like just these kinds of the people are, are still around yeah. selling essential oils and. Well, let's be honest. There's like Ugh. Mormons out there who believe that some guy found 
stones in his backyard but then didn't want to show anyone and then, you know, and yeah, he, they've got this yeah. whole – yeah, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> we digress. I'm just thinking of like Book of Mormon. That was <laughs> the he best found on a hill in his backyard. <laughs> that was so funny. Okay. Anyway, anyway moving story. on. Yeah. So in 1910. She kills another lady, Maud Whitney, and then kills a 24-year-old man by the name of Earl Edward Erdman, who ha- who went to her because he'd been to everyone else and he was so um, just, he had indigestion that was relentless, right? And she says, I'll cure you. If you do this treatment, you'll be cured. Yeah, because you'll be dead. Yeah, exactly. So he wrote a diary while he was being treated by her and he basically says each day what he got to eat. So after two weeks, he'd had maybe eight meals. And then on the 14th of February, he had one cup of strained tomato broth. Oh, also, what's what he doesn't write about is that she would give people vigorous massages. This is in quotes, right? I do not know mm. what that means. But apparently some of the witnesses who testified said that it could be aligned with abuse right? Like, Mm. um, like bashing nearly. Um, and then she used to also give people enemas that would last hours, um, which isn't, you know, cited in his, um, so maybe he didn't get any enemas or maybe he wasn't comfortable writing about it in his diary. Um, but yeah, so enemas plus starving plus being beaten up, you're probably going to die. Yeah. Uh, then he, he says on the 21st of February, ate one cup, settled and strained tomato broth, uh, backache today just below the ribs. He also cites that his head was quite dizzy, his eyes are yellow streaked and red. Like this is from a guy with indigestion. Maybe he had pancreatic cancer, probably not, right? Yeah. Then on the 24th of February, he writes, so this whole time he's sleeping poorly, he's got back aches, he's got rib aches, um, he's dizzy and lightheaded, he's not eating. Um, he, all he's had is like tomato soup, a couple of oranges. Um, on this day, the 24th, slept better Wednesday night, kind of frontal headache in AM, ate two small oranges at 10 AM, one and a half cups, hot tomato soup at 6 PM, heart rate hit up to 95 a minute and sweat considerable. Then on the 25th of February, he writes, slept pretty well Thursday night, ate one and a half cups tomato broth at 11 a.m., ate one and a half cups tomato broth at 6 p.m., pain in right below ribs. Um, then the pain continues the following day, saying that he felt better this day than he had for the last week, but then he dies that night. Oh. Yeah. Oh, sorry, he dies two days later. Um, just before they were going to give him a blood transfusion, question mark, question mark. (laughs) Then, so in 1911, a couple more people died and then she starts killing really prominent people. Like she starts killing people who've got money and then I think they hit a point where they kill, well, she kills, I won't say they because we, her husband is not really implicated up until this point. But uh, they kill or she kills John Ivan Flux who came over to America to buy a ranch. He was from England, really, really wealthy. He died after a 57-day fast and after signing all of his assets over to Hazard. (laughs) Yeah. 
And then there was suspicion that there was a young New Zealand guy, Eugene, someone, I didn't write it down, but he gets shot on their property and people assume that it was a suicide, like they must have um, staged mm. it or something, she and her husband together. And then they it, it sort of is a bit of, I don't know whether it came out in court or what, but it's supposed that they thought he was really wealthy so they were going to get him um, admitted to be starved to death but then when they found out he didn't have any money at all they shot him out of frustration that's like the consensus right Um, so he's the only one that was like murdered in cold blood I guess Um, then in 1912 the Williamson sisters come to stay Uh, with Linda Hazard. So this is probably the best known of her victims. They were British sisters, Claire and Dorothea, and they were visiting America when they see an ad for this um, Institute of Natural Therapies is what she was calling um, the sanitarium. So, and these are women who are like obsessed with any kind of health fad, you know, all about probably a bit naive, quite young. I think they were in their early 20s. And they go. They don't tell their family what they're doing because they knew they wouldn't approve. Um, So then they go and they were supposed to be admitted to the house, but instead um, Linda admits them to like a a local motel or something saying that the house isn't ready and whatever, like it was being renovated or something. So anyway, she admits them and starves them. Then as they get sicker, she starts questioning them about the size and worth of their estate. And by the time... And then after they'd been receiving women for about two months, they were transferred over to the um, to the house. Apparently, um, then one of the daughters sends a letter. So one of the sisters sends a letter to their childhood nanny saying that you've got to come because we're sick, right? Then um, that's Margaret Conway. She arrives in Seattle and is met by uh, Samuel, the husband, and he says, Claire's dead. So then they they insist that she's died of liver cirrhosis and would have died regardless, you know, of coming Jeez, or not. God. Yeah. So then she oh, sees ew. the body of Claire and Claire is, you know, emaciated like she's she's sticks. And then Margaret Conway goes to see Dora who's living in dire conditions. Like I think that's why they were put in the motel first because they wouldn't have agreed to be living in like this kind of squalor if they were well. Yeah. Um, then Margaret insists on pulling Dorothea out of the um, out of the the house, and um, then be- obviously she's delusional and they've brainwashed her for the last two months. She's like, "No, no, it's helping me. I'm gonna get better," and she doesn't want to leave. Turns out that Conway Conway actually couldn't even take her out because. Dorothea had signed over to Linda and Samuel, her powers of attorney, and she'd made them her guardian for life. So she'd also signed over her entire estate to them as well. Yeah. So uh, Conway realised that, oh, also that, (laughs) this is where it gets fucking gross, uh, Linda Hazard had been wearing all of Claire's clothes while oh. Margaret Conway was there. So she's like, you're wearing, oh, you know, God. my, yeah, her, anyway. So yep. <laughs> getting, getting a bit crazy. So she ended up taking, 
Oh no, she couldn't. She couldn't even take um, Dora, but she did end up getting out because um, finally the authorities were made aware, and I think because they had they'd been able to look and go. Actually, a significant amount of people have died here at this property. Yeah. Um, so she went to trial and she was convicted of manslaughter and she was sentenced from two to 20 years in prison, which she served at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla. She was released on parole after two years. And then the following year she gets a full pardon. So then they they decide, oh, we've burnt all our bridges here. We'll move to New Zealand. So they go to New Zealand. (laughs) (laughs) They they go to New Zealand uh, until... 1920 so they're there for about eight years and she practices as a dietitian and an osteopath in that time. <laughs> but in 1917 the New Zealand newspaper um, reported that she ha- held a practicing certificate from the medical board of state of Washington and because she used the title doctor she was charged in Auckland under the medical practitioners act for practicing medicine while not registered to do so she was found guilty oh. and fined but when you look at the fine, the fine was five pounds, right? Which in today's money is about four hundred and seventy bucks. So yeah. I mean, she was a professional woman. I'm sure she'd be able to find five pounds. Uh, oh no, sorry, six hundred bucks plus yeah plus cost. Anyway, in 1920, she goes back to Alola, Washington, and opens a new sanitarium. Wow! Um, so and they they call that the School of Health. And um, since her medical license had been revoked, she, um, but she continued to supervise fasting until the School of Health burned to the ground in 1935 and then it was never rebuilt. Three years later, Hazard herself starves herself to death by attempting a fasting cure <laughs> for her own whatever. Maybe she was trying to cure her brain deadness. Right. I don't know. <laughs> But um, I, I wonder with this one, obviously she wasn't exactly a doctor but um, practising as a doctor. I wonder she was obviously super passionate about starvation but then maybe I don't reckon she must she mustn't have truly believed that it worked but maybe she did because that's um, how she ended up killing herself. Yeah, but maybe she just didn't. Maybe she was just trying to push it as far as she could. It's interesting. Like, I'd, I'd love to yeah, know. Yeah, it's crazy. And fasting today is still such a popular thing yeah you're right it's interesting actually reading i read some of the court documents which was boring but some of it was interesting because they there was a bit of a conspiracy that came out that a lot of the bodies that were exiting her like hospital place her Mm. sanitarium um was were picked up by the same funeral home and there was a big kerfuffle in court that um Linda was leading the witness and that she was like Mm. making head movements or gestures Mm. when um when the guy was answering the questions so then um the jury ended up having to be asked to leave while they sorted it out and um I found that quite interesting because nothing they sort of they just sort of resumed you know court and um, yeah anyway yeah so I I wonder if she really did believe it she didn't really get charged at all. Like she spent no, two she... years in jail and then she was pardoned. Yeah, and she killed so, 40 people at least. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Her she husband did just started. as much for being married to two people. 
<laughs> exactly. Oh. Right, so let's hear about uh, your person. Um, so I picked Jayant Patel. He's known as Australia's Dr. Death. Um, Patel was born in India. He initially studied surgery at uh, a university in India, obtaining a master's degree, and then he moved over to the United States. Um, where he further received surgical training at the University of Rochester School of Medicine as a um, surgical intern and a resident in surgery. In 1984, he went to Buffalo, New York. And um, during his time there, he was involved in many surgical failures um, and ended up being fined by the state and put on a clinical probation uh, for not reviewing patients prior to surgery. Um, it took the New York state health officials until nine, uh, 2001 to withdraw his license. Right. So in 89, 1989, he moved to Portland, Oregon, um, and he worked there for a number of years, well over, um, I think, almost over a decade. He'd been there six years when he was named Distinguished Physician of the Year, but during the time there he'd been involved in a number of a number of lawsuits for malpractice and wrongful death. And they would have known that when they gave him that <laughs> yeah, so they Yeah, so they would have known. Oh, I don't know if they would have known that Buffalo, um, like his New York, that he'd been mm-hmm. fined and was on clinical probation. But in mm. Portland, yeah, he, but he was there as a surgeon, but he won Distinguished Physician of the Year, which is super weird. And it was like mm. six years after he'd been there. So um, medical Maybe he staff, got a million dollars put in a uh, blind yeah. trust. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it, there's just so much to this backstory that like, mm, you know, suspicious. like all of them, you could have picked it up. And stopped him way earlier. Yeah. Um, medical staff alleged that he performed surgery when he was not rostered to work. He operated on other surgeons' patients. He operated unnecessarily and he caused serious injury and death. Jesus In 1998, Christ. the hospital had restricted, this is three years after he was distinguished physician of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, the hospital restricted his practice. Um, he had to seek second opinions before performing any surgeries. In September 2000, after that would have reviewing... hurt his ego. Oh, massively! Hey, mm. um, after reviewing four cases involving the death of three patients, the Oregon Board of Medical Examiners made Patel's restrictions statewide. So even though his medical license had been restricted he still received glowing letters of recommendations from his colleagues. Of course he did. Of course he did. So he didn't hang around too long after all those restrictions were put in place on him. So No, because he could he, probably um, still operate in other states, right? Yeah, and That's yeah, not. exactly. And, I mean, a lot of the time they don't just work at one hospital, you know, like they'll have a private practice and work mm. at multiple hospitals. So whilst you have restrictions at one hospital, you might not at another. I so do once not understand made, that. Yeah. How can they? How can they go? Oh, it's not okay for you to operate in our state, but you can operate in another yeah, state. I, yeah, like, those people don't matter as much. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
In 2003, he was recruited um, to Queensland and he became the director of surgery at Bundaberg State Hospital or base hospital. Scraping the barrel, Bundaberg. I know. (laughs) It was part of a state program where overseas trained specialists um, were brought to the regional areas. I wonder if Um, any of our listeners worked with him. Yeah, that would be mate, because it's it's really recent. Mate. Um I say it's really recent, but it's like twenty years ago. Still <laughs> I still think two thousand is like yesterday. <laughs> I know. Um he was recruited to the, become the director of surgery, but he actually had no surgical specialist surgical qualifications to his name. He's just a general surgeon, was he? Yeah. Um so there was many inadequacies in Patel's practice. Um, he was often described his surgery techniques as antiquated and sloppy. Mm. Nurses claimed they hid patients from him when they knew he was in the hospital. He showed poor regard for hygiene um, and he quickly attracted Gross. the nickname Dr. Death. Do you know, we, we need to come up with an app or something or like a, um, a whistleblowing app for like, nurses yeah. or like, you know how doctors have like, there's like rate my doctor or something is like the yeah. website. It should be nurses rate my doctor because yeah, people, people will get like really true, um, yeah. you know, attestations to their work. Where you're anonymous yeah. until you need to be non-anonymous. Yeah. 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 Um, it's alleged he altered many medical records, including death certificates, to hide his inadequacies. We... All up in between the couple of years that he was in Bundaberg, they believe at least 30 patients died under his care. Mm. And in total, for his whole career, they believe at least 87 deaths <sighs> can be attributed to him. Yeah. So that is a lot. Speaking of nurses who dob in doctors, there is a nurse in this story who is like a true hero, Mm. Tony Ellen Hoffman. Um, She was an ICU nurse and she stood up um, and basically dobbed him in. She she got a member of the Order of Australia and was awarded the 2006 Australian of the Year Local Hero Award for her whistleblowing. Um, She like basically took on the role of whistleblower and informed the Queensland politician um, Rob Messenger about Patel Uh, and through this information there was multiple commissions and inquiries into him. There was actually three of them. So people actually Um, took her seriously even though she was only one voice. Yeah, so she originally began to raise doubts about the ability with hospital management and other staff, mm-hmm. but and other surgeons and doctors and nurses were also really concerned. But they sort of blew her off, and no one really yeah, jumped in. So it wasn't until she went to the politicians that she started to get some headway. Um. She, it was alleged that between 2003 and 2005, a number of patients who were not directly under Patel's care were being treated and even operated on when no procedure was necessary by Patel. Um, mm. And Hoffman was concerned with the number of patients treated by Patel who had serious complications. She said that nurses would call him Mr. E. coli and many would say, <laughs> 
<laughs> if I had an accident That's funny, on the but weekend, not funny. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> infection rates were like through the roof. Yeah. Um, and a lot of nurses would say, if I had an accident on the weekend, fly me to Brisbane. Don't let Dr. Death touch me. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> she also said that <laughs> medical staff I just were think, traumatized. I just, I just think, like, of, that's such a nursing thing to say. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't you let – like, I've said that before. Don't you ever let that person touch me. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, if there was an, an incident where he actually stabbed a patient up to 50 times in the chest in an attempt to drain fluid from around the heart. Um. Oh, and my God. it left, like, multiple people in the room very concerned but still – no one spoke up. Sorry, you're standing there witnessing a potent, oh. an attempted murder. Like you're you're attempt you're watching a sadistic. Like I'm not I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm not, but I will say that I'm proud of myself. If I watch a freaking anesthetic registrar putting in a spinal and they're not doing a good job, I will clear my throat many times yeah. and then say, <laughs> "Do you think you should give someone else a turn?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, come on, We're, this is people's bodies and their lives. Like exactly. we have to be, and, and that's part of our job is to is to advocate. advocate. And because sometimes I think some doctors, I'm not saying they're all statistic fucks, some doctors just get re- really determined. They just really, really want to get it. And that's nice. But, yeah. but let someone else. You'll get exactly. the next one, honey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she had a lot of sort of lack of support from our colleagues um, and she said that Queensland Health made no attempts to see if the complaints were true and at one point when she raised concerns with her director of nursing she was told that it was a personality issue mm. which means shut up it's not your problem mm. um, thankfully you're just making though, a problem for us yeah that's exactly right yeah mm. thankfully though um, a investigative journalist Hedley Thomas um, for the Australian, published a report on Dr. Death in March 2005 claiming injuries or death of patients due to Patel uh, were, like, growing in number. Mm. Uh, a lot of media, other other media outlets jumped on board and before you knew it, the headlines were nationwide, like Australia's mm. Dr. Death and blah, blah, blah. So once this media attention came, it was very difficult for Queensland Health and the politicians to ignore it any further. Um, in April 2005, Patel left Australia and went back to Portland on a business class airfare paid by Queensland Health. Fuck off. Yep. He was like, fuck this, I'm out of here. So he And yeah. I'm out of here business class. Yeah, and you're going to pay for it. Yeah. Wait, why wouldn't you send him economy? Make him pay for it himself. You've probably just paid him $300,000 a year. Or more. In November 2006, a magistrate issued a warrant for his arrest and extradition back to Australia. He was charged with three counts of murder. Uh, sorry, three counts of manslaughter, five charges of causing grievous bodily harm, four charges of negligent acts causing harm, and eight counts of fraud. It took oh. um, like nearly two years to get him back to Australia. Jesus. In that time frame, there were three separate inquiries into him. So the Morris inquiry reported that they recommended Patel be charged with murder or manslaughter in respects to one patient 
a negligent act causing harm to another patient and that he also be charged with fraud in relation to his registration with the Medical Board of Queensland. Um, God. And that extradition extradition proceedings should begin. It also recommended changes to the Medical Practitioner Registration Act of 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, The Davies Inquiry reported that Patel should be charged with manslaughter and other criminal offences. It also put blame on two Queensland health ministers at the Mm. time for allowing the existence of uh, organisational culture of secrecy and ostracisation of whistleblowers because they basically allowed his misdeeds to go unpunished for two years. Well, think about if you were this Hoffman, like you, yeah. you've you been pushing and pushing and pushing. Your colleagues aren't interested in helping you, which I think is bullshit because yeah. it's not about you anymore. It's about the 80-something patients that he's killing. Like this is the thing that bothers me. Like you have to have integrity as a nurse. Yeah. You cannot say that you are a good nurse. You cannot be proud of the work that you're doing if you are happy letting low standards like yeah. just pass by exactly. you. Like if you're satisfied with, and this is the thing, this is why I'm such a ball breaker at work because I don't want to be sitting there in court going like explaining why I didn't do something. Yeah, like, exactly. And, that's and just, and, and not only that, that like I'm proud of the work that I do. Get, whistleblowers get such a bad name. Oh, yeah. And I'd rather be a whistleblower and save hundreds, potentially thousands of patients' yeah. lives and, you know, whatever. I'll go and work in a fucking clinic practice. I'll go and work in a university. I'll go and do something yeah. else. I'll go exactly. and be a bookkeeper. Yeah. Who knows? Do you <laughs> know knows. what I mean? Like yeah. I, I get that it that I can see there are times in my career when I've spoken up for safety and I've had, there's been six other people in the room who saw the wrong thing, who didn't say anything. Yeah, exactly. And I think shame on those people. Like yeah. I hope that you can't sleep at night because you didn't stand up for what was yeah. right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Anyway. The um, Forster's inquiry basically focused more on the practice systems and processes of Queensland Health. Um, so... He was charged back in 2006, but in it took until March 2008 for him to be arrested in America by the FBI and he was extradited to Australia. Um, That's all bureaucracy, isn't it? The yeah, reason it absolutely. takes so long. Yeah. And once he got back to Australia, he was extradited back to Australia, he was released on bail <laughs> the same day. <laughs> My God. How are you yeah. allowed to give bail to somebody who's murdered all these people? He's taken advantage of his privilege. Yeah. Mm. That literally left the country as well. Flight. Yeah. It took another couple of years for it to get to court. He was charged with unlawful killing of three patients and one count of grievous bodily harm. He pleaded not guilty, but he was found guilty in July 2010 and sentenced to seven years in prison. He appealed multiple times and finally he got to the High Court and they overturned his sentence on the ground of prejudicial evidence um, had likely influenced the jury. So he was granted a brand new trial. When I looked into that, there is a big thing in there about how they basically... Was it because he was Indian? No, no, they just used media stuff. Uh, to influence the jury to give a... I mean, I don't know how why it matters when there are actual people who have witnessed 
yeah. events and have spoken out. But anyway, it was he was granted a brand new trial. So in 2013, he had his retrial uh, and he was acquitted by the jury and all charges dropped in exchange for him pleading guilty to dishonesty, gaining registration and gaining employment in Queensland. What? He was given a two-year suspended sentence for fraud. In 2015, he was banned from ever gaining a medical licence in Australia. So, Sorry, what about the people yeah. he murdered? Yeah, they didn't matter. They didn't count. <sighs> He didn't do it. Man. I watched a. Um, is that a, it? Hang on. Is he not it. in jail? Not, not in jail. He's Where is out. this man? Well, I don't know if he's still living in Australia. I actually watched a um, like a oh. ten minute interview with him, and I can't. I don't know if it was a current affair or sixty minutes, like one of those sensational news media things. And they were interviewing him, and there had been all these rumors he was going to write a book, and he was going to. Um, You'll get a Netflix series. Yeah. (laughs) And they, um, you know, he just said that basically Australia had ruined his life and that these allegations were untrue and he and his wife are basically prisoners in their own home um, and that, you know, all of these people that he worked with were just horrible and, you know, they're the reason that he, like he literally didn't show any ounce of remorse. He didn't say. No, blame you know, everybody else. Yeah, typical like narcissist, like, I guess, and those people are. Blaming all the anaesthetists. Yeah, that's right. Mm. But, um, yeah, so I don't I, I don't actually think he still lives in Australia, but, um, yeah, he, Man. there was. See, and then I feel so sorry for Hoffman, the whistleblower, because what, you know, what did she do all that for? She didn't get to avenge, like, anyone's deaths. She didn't, like. That is so sad that he gets acquitted, and um, like a suspended yeah, exactly. sentence, bullshit. Like at least he can't ever practice medicine again. But you know what? Yes. Serial killers kill. It's what they do. It is, and what he they is do. a serial killer, and he will find somebody else to kill. At the end of the day, he yeah, like he's done the wrong thing. He'll probably continue to do the wrong thing because. Mm, let's watch just, this. I'd be surprised if he doesn't try and, like, continue some level of medical practice somewhere. Mm, he'll go and become An a starvation therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah. That's yeah. so fucked. That's left me bitter and sad. Worse than um after Dr. Death when he only gets done for elder abuse. Exactly. So yeah. Fucked. Well, it's just like um, Larry Nasser, that doctor on the American gymnast team. The only reason oh. Larry Nasser was charged with sexual assault was because he happened to do it with one girl in the basement of his home. Oh God! Instead of in the in medical the therapeutic office. office, and that one girl was willing to speak up, and that is the only reason. Same deal, like that elder abuse charge. Mm. Is the only reason that he was found guilty, and hundreds of gymnasts have come forward to say yeah. that they were, and they all went to court and read victim impact statement while he was sitting there. Like, yeah, it is. If you haven't, I've seen need, some. I've saw Simone Biles's. Um, yeah, so there's a. Yeah. I reckon it's on Stan. It's called. Um, oh Believe, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Believed or something, yeah. and there's a great podcast called unbelievable um on it and yeah like he was 
disgusting what he did to that. And the, the fact that he was reported multiple times and to the FBI and mm. still managed to get away with it because of the way the American, um, yeah, I just think I, I just think that we cover up so much because we don't want to upset anybody. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah. And do you know something um, I watched just following on from what you said um, about how the American legal system, well, even the Australian one is fucked when it comes to women and sexual mm. assault or in yeah. just, you know, um, Taylor Swift, I just watched her like biopic or whatever it is. And she's got a picture of the moment that a guy was standing next to her mm. and sexually assaulted her and yeah. they still – like it still wasn't a definite thing that that she was going to be believed. And she's like, I am the, you know, there's not many people that have physical evidence of the moment yeah. that they're sexually assaulted. Yeah. And here I have it and yet I'm still not being believed. Yeah. Um, and she's like, how is that possible, you know? And she said a, she um, like did a big speech about it at one of her concerts and she was in tears over it. And she's like the fact that, you know, so many of these situations is he said, she said, and yet in yeah. so many of them it's he said and a hundred of them, a hundred of the women mm. say, you know, and it's well, just. It's like Bill Crosby. I mean, we oh. could list. Isn't he out? List. There's so many. Yeah, he's out. He'll probably have a Is Rolf Harris out now too? Oh, I don't know. My grandma went to school with Rolf Harris. She was like, oh, God. her mum always told her that she couldn't be um, in the same, she couldn't basically, like they lived in the same area as well and she always said that her mum always had issues with her being alone with him. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and, I mean, that's back in, like, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Mm. So that mum, anyway. Anyway, we just have to keep pushing, keep breaking that glass ceiling, girls. That's right. Speak up for safety. I don't. Let's I know be we've the been Hoffman doing that training lately. Yeah, exactly. Be like Hoffman. And I if suppose Hoffman's I'll have to. listening, send us an email. Yeah, we would love to interview yeah. you. Mm. Um, I doubt she is. She's probably got better things. Yeah, probably, probably. She's probably writing a novel or trying to take him back to court. Um, Who knows? Yeah, um, so sad. Well, so two very different. Uh, very different. Doctor killers. Doctor killers. We should do. Is there any serial killers who've murdered doctors? That should be. <laughs> who've murdered only nurses? That should be our next one. Um, yes. Nah, that would be sad. I don't want to listen to that. Mm. Um, Well, thanks for listening. Don't Mm. forget to follow, like, subscribe, leave a five-star rating. Yeah, boy. (laughs) Um, Instagram, at Two Humorous Nurses Podcast. We really do read everything people send us. So send us just for a chat. Yep. I'd like to say when we do night feeds, I read them, but now I just fall asleep. Yeah. (laughs) We're at that point now where if she falls asleep next to me, I'm not as scared. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Send us an email with your stories and suggestions, please. Like if you've got any topics, anything you want us to talk about, anything that you think we might be interested in, send it to us. You can either DM us at uh, our Instagram or uh, email us humorousnurses at gmail.com That's humorous like the bone H-U-M-E-R-U-S Bye Bye